America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on what is a very cold and rainy Sunday morning in California. Uh, And for those of you listening to the Ricochet podcast later in the week, we're sending these to you. Um, It's been a a super windy, cold, um, and wet weekend here. And so it turned out to be a good weekend to curl up with a best-selling book, Warning by Anonymous. But first, you know, it's going to be tough to talk about patriotism an hour before the kickoff between the 49ers and the, and the Ravens. Um, last Sunday's uh, game was um, remarkable um, uh, in the fact that it was, Largely, the score was a bit deceiving. It was it was a much closer contest, but it was also um, really a defensive battle. Um, and and I was I have to say I was really impressed with how well the Niners' defense held up. Um, <clears throat> uh, and and so it's going to be tough to fill that last hour before the game. So I have. I have one correction from last week. We, you know, we talked last week about um, the, the Nelson ratings or Nielsen ratings of the um, House Intelligence Committee um, impeachment hearings, or as I like to call it, l'affaire Ukraine. And they were saying, okay, those ratings were as good as you know, the average for Sunday night football. Um, but the fact of the matter is that when they began to really dig down into those ratings, they found that, uh, in fact, the viewership had been much higher than Sunday night football. The estimate now is that as many as 70 million people viewed all or a major part of the House Intelligence Committee hearings, a 70 million people tuned in to hear those hearings. That's the biggest viewership that that exceeds the Super Bowl. Now, that does not include people who watched uh, using a handheld device. So, um, or, or live streamed the event in some way. Um, so the viewership could be as much as a third of the American population. And that makes the coming week's discussion 
um, very important. The House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday will initiate hearings into the constitutional issues that are raised by the House Intelligence Committee's majority report. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes feel like I could do what, you know, Kim Kardashian is, is, um, says she is training to do, and that is to challenge the California bar. After all of this, um, I've learned a lot about both constitutional and criminal law in this process. But 70 million people watched um, some or, or all of the hearings on um devices that that the Nielsen rating company can track. So that's basically, you know, television um, um, or cable or whatever you want to call. And I'm, I'm astounded, but I'm also um, encouraged by the fact that that many people thought it was important, whether they were, um, they, they agreed with the majority position or not, felt that it was important enough to watch the proceedings. <clears throat> so much for the heavy stuff, okay? Um, this is the most important shopping weekend of all, they say. This is what we've been told for years, right? Um, <clears throat> but because there are only 22 days this year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, instead of 26 like last year, it meant that American retailers decided to push the offers earlier um, <clears throat> and um, and so uh, the spending that we would have seen on Black Friday has been dispersed a bit um, through the week running up to um, Black Friday and interestingly enough a lot of stores um, you know can you say Kohl's, Target, etc opened at 5 o'clock on on Thanksgiving Day and then closed at midnight or 1 o'clock and didn't open again until 6 or 7, which is different from what they did the year before when they just stayed open 24 hours. So uh, I guess they have found there are not too many shoppers at 2 a.m. But it is... um, it, it is, um, it, I, I think that made sense. Um, <clears throat> I did make the mistake of going into, I actually did go buy one thing on Black Friday, which I always say I won't, but I didn't really go to a shopping center to do it. So the rate of spending, the rate of spending on Black Friday, remember I'm, I'm a businesswoman, not a politician, and I look at this from an economics point of view, but the rate of online shopping spending on Thursday evening and Friday morning was, and, and I'm going to claim I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, um, was $1.5 million, $1.5 million a minute. Let that sink in for a second. $1.5 million dollars a minute in online shopping on Black Friday. The American economy seems to be doing okay. Although there will be four days fewer um, 
to shop this year, um, there is an expectation that this Christmas season will be north of $100 billion in consumer spending. $100 million. So in other words, um, if we did that every month, that would be um, about 35% of the to- of total GDP. So, um, And they say the best discounts are yet to come. And in a changing shopping environment, uh, which is something we're going to talk about on another Sunday morning, um, you know, the, the movement around brick and mortar and um, online shopping, more and more going to online, uh, is causing changes, positive changes in some ways, to the way retail is done in the United States. One of the interesting factoids um, or observations of this weekend is the number of people who are shopping online and then picking up in the store. And when they get to the store, they then do their impulse purchasing, which may increase the numbers, um, you know, significantly above that $100 billion um, estimate. And and I know I'm guilty of that. I do. Um, I try to avoid, avoid order and pick up. I try. I, I like online, you know, send it to me. Um, but but I do know that when I go to the shopping center, I end up with that one for the person I'm buying for and one for me. I'm guilty. Um, so I think, I think that's the, the state of the current, uh, and, and what it says, what it says clearly is that the American economy is doing just fine. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about why the American economy is doing so well right now. And then let's dive into the warning by Anonymous. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And as we were going to break, we were chatting about uh, the Christmas season shopping and what it and how good a shopping season it looks to be. Now, you know, we all know the S&P and the Dow are at these unbelievable highs. That's because um, there is no way to make any money in um, money markets um, because of the reduction in interest rates. So we're seeing two sides of the coin here. We're seeing a Fed worried about um, the possibility of an economic slowdown and thus a quarter point reduction in interest rates. Um, which affects your credit cards and car purchases and so forth. Um, <clears throat> we are also seeing in this Christmas season about a 1% pullback in spending at the top of the economic pyramid. 
pyramid. So in other words, the, the wealthiest in America are pulling back a little bit. Um, and that may be just a decade of, of ridiculous spending, you know, um, or there isn't, you know, the, uh, when AirPods are the hottest item for the Christmas season, maybe there's not, you know, there's not something new on the market for them. But there is a pullback at the top of the spending pyramid. But it is largely offset, okay, if we could get serious and talk about the velocity of money or what expands an economy, what is expanding this economy is people at the lower strata of income are doing better. Now, that's due to state-level increases in the minimum wage. It's due largely to a really, really tight labor market in which we have 3% unemployment and people who then have now entered the re-entered the labor market um, at the lower end of the economy tend to spend everything that they earn, and that actually causes the U.S. economy to expand faster than when the one percent spend. Because remember, what drives the economy is not the total amount of money, okay, but rather the speed with which it changes hands. And so when you have people at the 15 to or the 10 to $20 an hour range working full-time, as we have now in a full employment um, market, then those people tend to spend their paychecks faster than do people at the higher end who then invest in stocks or, you know, buy or, or, or savings bonds or, or savings accounts or whatever um, investment instruments. Uh, and so those people at the bottom are causing the economy to grow faster. And so we should be very encouraged by the fact that uh, the economy is doing so well. Um, and, and that is due to, um, in part, um, lower taxes and less regulation. In part, she says. Um, it is also due to just the underlying resilience of the U.S. economy. And it is due in no small measure to stronger regulation imposed on our banking and investment system after 2008 and and the sobering understanding of what happens when when these large financial institutions take too much risk. And so within those same institutions, self-imposed regulation. But the American economy is is showing, it's very confusing because it's showing no... um, inflation, Um, but yes, the increase in employment at lower wage rates, at the lower wage rate stations or those less um, skilled jobs is driving um, better economic news because we are a 70% consumption economy. So all that said, I hope you went out, and I'm, I'm going to say, in all honesty, I did not, but I will do my small business shopping 
um, when it stops raining uh, sometime today. And, and remember that if you buy one gift specifically that says on it, Made in America, whether it's a new car or a piece of furniture or um, weather tech or whatever, um, every, if every family out Christmas shopping buys one thing made in America, we can create 65,000 new manufacturing jobs that are well-paid and that will help to grow the U.S. economy. So, having said all of that, what did I do yesterday? Well, I curled up with a bestseller. Warning by Anonymous is now the number one bestseller on the nonfiction New York Times list. It has displaced Donald Trump Jr.'s book um, and the difference is that every copy of Warning was bought by um, an individual, um, uh, mostly mostly um, through Amazon, um, but <clears throat> there were no bulk purchases by the RNC, nor will there be. It's an interesting book. Um, I'm not going to tell you that there are any expo- explosive new revelations. There aren't. There is an expansion on a number of events that you and I are all familiar with. Uh, the book went to press at the very last moment to get the, to meet the release date, uh, so it does not talk about the uh, intelligence committee hearings in Lafayre, Ukraine, uh, in detail, but it does discuss the run-up to them. Um, and it went to press with such speed that there are at least three typographical errors in the text. Uh, there may be more, but there were three that I actually caught. Um, and, and so let's talk about it from the 30,000 foot level. Who wrote it? Well, I continue to believe that my first guest may be accurate, um, but I also consider the fact that I think it's quite possible because it's extremely well written, um, that it's quite possible that it is a, it is not a person, that it is some people. Um, because, for example, it talks in the first person, let's all go back to 2017, to a moment in the lobby of the Trump Tower, and let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, infrastructure. Um, And this was to be a presentation by Elaine Chow, the Secretary of Transportation, who is the wife of Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. Um, and, And she was set to make, after a meeting in Trump Tower, a discussion of um, the difficulties. It was an incredible perch chart of the complexity of building a mile of highway in this country. It's mind-boggling, but it's also beyond, beyond the point here. 
um, because there were a group of people standing there, and in the midst of that, the president was asking was answering reporters' questions about the Charlottesville um, incident, uh, and that was the moment at which he walked away from the White House talking points and said there were, you know, very fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville riot, um, which was in fact run by American, you know, was had a, a high um, uh, percentage of um, American Nazi uh, input. We all, we all remember um, blood and soil and Jews will not replace us while carrying their cheeky torches. And the person who wrote, or, or anonymous, speaks about being in that group and, and, and speaking... As um, it, it, it speaks in the first person, I standing there, and then talks about um, General Kelly and a few other people who were also present. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if we believe that Anonymous is still in the administration, then you know, not a person who was pictured at that. That presser, at that informal presser, that was supposed to be about infrastructure, uh, and turned into a discussion of the Charlottesville riot, and and caused a lot of consternation um, in terms of the president's comments. Um, if if the I word is used, then you have to look at who was there, um, and there is no one who was pictured behind the president, with the exception of Elaine Chow, who did not write this book, it, it, then you wonder who this, who it can be. Then that's when, when you start to think it's not a single person. If it is not a single person, then it is quite likely the actual text was written by somebody other than the protagonists who speak in the book. And, and I think that is quite possible. So, Anonymous tells us in the introduction that the objective is to provide a warning, that it goes into some detail, that this person was told they could make um, multiples of seven figures for a book like this, um, that, that the author has pledged not to, not to profit in any way, that all the proceeds of the book are going to go to charity, the largest charity that, that will receive proceeds from this book, it turns out, is the Washington Press Corps. You know, the guys who give that dinner every year that the president doesn't come to, uh, that they will get the lion's share of the proceeds. <clears throat> Which leads me to believe that it is somebody in the Press Corps who, in fact, may have written the actual text. Because it's extremely well written. All that said, take a step back and think about who are the people who are quoted in the book. The person who wrote this book has a really first-hand grasp of Greco-Roman history, uh, is extremely familiar with Cicero. I mean, you know, familiar to... Um, 
being able to say, oh, yeah, remember that quote, and then go look it up in a second, okay, which I couldn't do. Um, I have I have a pretty good background. Undergraduate, I'm, I'm a history major. I'm, I'm pretty well steeped in the facts of history <clears throat> and important historical moments, and I learned a thing or two reading this book. So here's what I'm going to say. I think the person who wrote or people who wrote this book are, in fact, a couple of things. They are, like me, lifelong establishment Republicans. Um, And I think at least one of them, because I do believe there is more than one contributor, um, at least one of them is a lawyer, uh, because that knowledge of Cicero and of um, really um, in-depth understanding of Athenian democracy, et cetera, is something that somebody who is steeped in constitutional law would know um, off the top of their head while writing a book that went from zero to 60 in a matter of months. So, um, you know, it's not somebody who had to go and do the scholarly, scholarly lookup or reread history or whatever. The other thing that he says and talk he or she or they, we'll talk about them as they, okay, say, is that um, why the anonymity? Well, because don't make it focus. The focus should not be on the author, but on the content of the book. And that, and that points back to the Federalist Papers, which were written by, you know, several people and most notably you know, Madison and Hamilton, um, who had different views of um, how, how the public should accept this new constitution of this new republic. Um, but it is, um, they wrote it, everybody wrote under the name, uh, under a single pseudonym, uh, because they wanted the focus to be on the concepts they were presenting and not on the personalities, because they were, in their time, um, quite notorious, and, um, and there were quite differing opinions on Madison, Hamilton, Washington, and some of the others who contributed as publicists. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about what Ronald Reagan said about America and move from there into the facts of this text. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. I guess it's time to stop wondering who and talk about what. So, as I, as I said, um... Charlottesville was for was a define was a defining moment in in this presidency, and anonymous rights um, 
I know that's a question that many of you are asking. Why didn't anyone leave at the after after the comments about Charlottesville? Why didn't anyone leave? God knows it would have been easy. We all have, and this is a really important sentence in the book. It's in the present tense. We all have draft resignation letters in our desks or on our laptops. That's the half-teasing, half-true advice you get on day one in the Trump administration or immediately following Senate confirmation. Quote, be sure to write your resignation letter. You may need it at a moment's notice or less. End quote. Some of us did consider resigning on the spot after Charlottesville. One journalist reported a cabinet member saying he would have written a resignation letter, taken it to the president, and shoved it up his, and I can't use that word on the radio. That sentiment was shared, but in the end, no one angrily stormed out. There was no protest resignation. Why do people stay, a close friend asked me at the time. You should all quit. He's a mess. That's why I responded, because he's a mess. It was true for a lot of us. We thought we could keep it together. The answer feels more hollow than it used to. And then he goes on to say the mood in the administration darkened in the months ahead. So Charlottesville was, in year one, as many of us feared, um, a turning point or a a harbinger, or as he says, or he, he, she, or they say, a harbinger of more to come. It was also the moment when I received the answer to the lingering question I had about him. The question is not whether Trump was a model leader. Such a conclusion would have been laughable by that point. The question was whether the presidency, remember, Remember during the campaign when the when Trump promised us he could be as presidential as anybody. Whether the and to go back to the text, he, the author writes whether the presidency would at least instill in this man the ability to be a bigger person than he was. Whether he could rise up to meet the moment. That was my hope. Not long after, as I walked the state floor of the White House. I scanned the portraits of American leaders adorning the corridors. One thought started to grip me and never left. Donald Trump does not belong among them. He isn't a man of great character or of good character. He is a man of none. At that moment, as I read that, um, <clears throat> that's a moment beyond which... We've never gone in testing American democracy. But it makes me question why somebody would remain in the administration. So, again, there is a form of hubris in saying, well, you know, I, anonymous, or we, anonymous, or they, anonymous, stuck around because we thought it was our constitutional duty to create what the writer calls frequently the steady state. In other words, keeping the wheels from going off the rails. And he goes from that moment to begin to talk, or he or she or they, I'm using he in the 
you know, I'm over 40 and we used to call them congressmen or congresspersons or whatever. Anyway, um, I'm assuming because there are very few women in the administration and we definitely know Ivanka Trump did not write this book, um, that it is a man or men. Because there's only one woman possibility. <clears throat> Wait, did you say there's no. only one woman possibility? Yeah. And who would that be? Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway. So she's been putting on an act this whole time, pretending to uh, to uh, be at odds with her husband when they're they're what are they secretly plotting to take down Trump together? There is a theory in Republican circles that that is true. So what what are some excerpts that make you think it might be Kellyanne? I think I think there's a lawyer in this in this midst. Okay, that would make sense if it were the two of them, because uh, George Conway is the kind of lawyer who would quote Cicero off the top of his head. If you if you follow George on Twitter as I do. Um, you know, yes, he, he has that command of Greco-Roman history. And when you look at the passages in the book, each chapter begins with a excerpt from another Republican president to set up the purpose and the, to establish the, the contrast. And so when we come back from a quick commercial break while you're all sitting there thinking Kellyanne she's crazy you know Joyce is crazy um maybe like a maybe she's dumb like a fox um we're gonna go take a quick commercial break and when we come back let's let's take a quick look at Ronald Reagan something we can all agree about Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And I will say, just as I segue into Ronald Reagan, um, I will say, you know, I, I answered Vince's question about, you know, the one woman. Um, I am not, that is not my first guess. Um, you know, Kellyanne Conway is a possibility. It's not, it's not a probability. Um, my probability is that it's a he. Um, and my probability is that it's a he who is closely attached, but not, anymore a member of the uh, of the administration. I, I could go further afield um, and give you some other really wild guesses that would probably um, that are probably incorrect. but I was struck at the end of that passage in which the writer says, Donald Trump isn't a man of great character or of good character. He is a man of none. That the next page 
begins with a quote from Ronald Reagan that you have to listen to carefully because it says everything that I believe about America. We must present to the world not just an America that's militarily strong, but an America that is morally powerful, an America that has a creed, a cause, a vision of a future time when all peoples have the right to self-government and personal freedom. I think American conservatives are uniquely equipped to present to the world this vision of the future, a vision worthy of the American past. It almost brings tears to one's eyes to read that kind of a passionate statement of what all my life I have believed conservative American conservatism is. We are the good guys. And that theory under the current administration is being tested. It's being tested um, on a daily basis. Um, and it's being tested um, in ways that the Founding Fathers would not have imagined. Uh, government by tweet, policy by tweet, uh, policy by tweet from someone who um, does not read briefing papers um, and does not have fixed um, uh, opinions or a sense of direction, according to this book. Um, you know, he goes on, uh, this is a chapter about fake views, not fake news. It's about um, inconsistencies. Um, it's about the things that um, the president does and doesn't do um, on a regular basis. It is largely a chapter about how rudderless that the administration is, that it has spawned a cottage industry around the phenomena of the president shifting views. Cottage industry that has created a business where you can go, I, I haven't Googled this yet, but I will, um, President Flip-Flop is the name of a company. It's a web store that literally sells sandals, it, it, real flip-flops, with a Trump tweet on the left, which is contradicted by a Trump tweet on the right. Um, and, and there are bunches of examples uh, in the text of this book that tell you what, uh, that go through some of the, of the shoes or the sandals you can buy. But if you're really stuck for stocking stuffers on your list um, and you're open-minded enough to actually listen to uh, the podcast version of the show regularly or the live radio show, um, you might want to go Google this shop. It might be an interesting stocking stuffer uh, for, um, for the, the, the person on your gift list who has literally has everything. So... Um, it, it is about, it, the chapter goes on to talk about the consistency when it comes to American conservatism, the consistency 
in the 20, late 19th and 20th century about, um, you know, that America, that from, from let's say, the Spanish-American War on, that America has represented to freedom-loving people all around the world the good guy. And that in this particular moment, for the first time, there's a question that has to be answered by both America, you know, both our, our representatives and us as an electorate about whether or not we really are and believe and want to be and know we must be the indispensable nation to, again, quote Ronald Reagan. We'll be back in just a moment with some closing thoughts. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back um, with a, just a couple minutes to wrap up. Um, the warning. The warning concludes with a chapter about what could have and what what might have and what should and shouldn't have happened. Um, there is evidence from the book without an outright statement um, that there was some discussion of invoking the 25th Amendment along the way and that these people who had this discussion think that um, Pence, would be um, amenable if there were enough support from the cabinet. But Anonymous does not think that that is the course that needs to be taken, nor does Anonymous, having written the book before the House Intelligence Committee um, hearings, believe that um, the best course of action is impeachment. What Anonymous goes on to say is the executive is to quote Alexander Hamilton who wrote again in the Federalist Papers the executive should be independent for his continuance in office on all but the people themselves. No other political force should decide whether he stays or goes save for exceptional circumstances. And, and so Anonymous goes on to say that it is up to us as an electorate come November of next year, so just 11 months from now, to stand in the voting booth, or we Californians, to sit at your desk and fill out your ballot to decide whether or not we should continue Donald Trump in office, does Donald Trump reflect our nation and therefore the choice is obvious? The voter will seek to reelect. The second is, no, he doesn't. If during one term in office, Trump has fallen short of our standards and doesn't faithfully reflect our values, there's a chance to course correct. 
The electoral process doesn't pronounce a final sentence. It offers the chance to fix mistakes. The voters will choose someone else. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where Anonymous leaves the text. Every American generation before us has faced and passed this test. Our charge is to do the same, proving that the United States can do what other civilizations could not, survive the ages, and bend the arc of moral universe toward the value that is the real center of civic life, freedom. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.